flow into our message this morning. And like I said earlier, because I, I really heard that by the Spirit of God, the cry is there by him for us to cooperate with him. It's, it's, his, it's his invitation. God always has sought to have intimate relation with his creation, and that's who we are. It was God's intention to make man in the beginning. He wanted sons and daughters unto himself. But one aspect about that is that God is love. And so he requires as love for love to make a deliberate choice. In other words, many of us have friends. Some of us are married. And there was a deliberate choice to establish that relationship. And so God being love also gives that choice to mankind. That's why he placed the trees in the garden, that a deliberate choice could be made. But it's the Father's intention. He wants to relate to us because he is love. And we're going to look in a couple of scriptures this morning, but starting with the first passage that we're going to look at from John chapter 13. I'm going to read a large portion of this passage in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. And we're seeing something that is taking place with Jesus and with his disciples. After the time of Passover, which gives us our communion table now, after the resurrection of Jesus, we celebrate um, the communion table. But during this time, before Jesus went to the cross, he took the leading of the Holy Spirit to instill a focus within his disciples as they were still together. And so I want to begin with reading with verse 1 of John chapter 13. And I'm going to be reading and referencing all my scriptures from the New King James Version, unless otherwise noted. So in John chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is babe need only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are all clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taking his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know? what I have done to you. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. 
If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you, for I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you that the entrance of your word gives light. We ask right now, Heavenly Father, that you would give light to us as we receive your word this morning. We thank you that you are not adverse to us, God, but that Jesus came to give us relationship backed with you. And so we thank you right now, Heavenly Father, for the inspiration of your Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts and helping us to be in alignment that we can be used by you, we can flow with you. And so we give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Jesus, in this private setting, is with his disciples and does something that is profound. We know that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. We know that he created all things. And yet, he girds himself with a towel and to 12 men and one that he knew was going to betray him. Jesus humbles himself and gets down on his knees and washes their feet. Now, folk, let's be real. These men walked dusty roads. They didn't have the leisure of going and getting professional pedicures at a drop of a hat. They were men who worked very hard. So obviously, there was some smell that was behind their feet <laughs> that needed to be taken care of. But regardless of that stench, Jesus still reached out and ministered to them, giving us a sign about God. You see, God knows that sin is a stench in his nostrils, but yet he came to reach us because we needed to be cleaned by him. And Jesus models this and, model, and, and, and emphasizes several things with this demonstration about his character, about the character of the Father, and about how we're supposed to live. Jesus said, I am your Lord, I am your master. And if I'm modeling this for you, I want you to do this to everyone else. So Jesus gives us that example and lets the apostles know, if you're going to be somebody great in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to be humble and be a servant. The people that God seeks to use are people that are going to cooperate with him to flow in his character, to be able to tell others and invite them to come in to the kingdom of God. Men throughout the ages have fought wars. We can read in history 
that skirmishes have happened because people have ideas about what we say religion, which we're not saying relation with God is religion. We can make a religion out of it, but relation with God is relation with God through Jesus Christ. But men have fought back and forth through the ages, arguing over communion and other things, and people have lost their lives in inquisitions. But Jesus demonstrates here, as him being the sovereign Lord creator of the universe, that he humbled himself before these men and washed their feet, giving a demonstration that the one who is greatest among you will be your servant. The Bible says in Galatians 5.13 that we've been called unto liberty. Only don't use liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And in verse 14 it says, for all the laws fulfilled in this one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus demonstrated this love going to the cross, but before then, he gave them that visible example of washing feet to say, remember, you're to be servants. The world's idea of being a sovereign is to have people come and minister to you. God's idea for us as being believers is to serve others in that love. The Bible says in, first, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, that there was grace for grace that came but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. There was a grace that God ministered through the Mosaic law, separating the people of Israel coming out of Egypt because of a covenant that he made with Abraham, but wanting Israel as the smallest of the nations to be a light to the rest of the nations so that they can come back and worship the true and living God. So there was a grace in that law. What is the grace that was in the law? Once again, God wanted to stay connected to mankind. So he chose his people, he gave the laws that he could commune, even though sin came and brought a separation, animals could be sacrificed, blood can be uh, shed before the Lord and put on the altar so that God was able to stay in contact and, and able to work in the lives of men until Jesus came to fulfill what was needed to bring us salvation. So there's a grace that was under there, but the word of God says that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And when we look through the word of God, we have to look at the Bible through the light of what Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 says. God in sundry times and divers manners spake unto us by the prophets, but in these last days has spoken unto us by his son, Jesus Christ. So he is the model that we need to look at when we look at the word of God to measure what we're supposed to do right now. Jesus is our example. We can't go back and pray prayers like David prayed, Lord, let me wash my feet in their blood. Let me break their jaw teeth on my foot. You know, those imprecatory prayers were under the law. But now grace and truth have come by Jesus Christ. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. That's through Jesus Christ now. And so the passage that we just read, we can see a couple of things highlighted through there that Jesus wants us to remember and to emphasize. Number one, that God loves. Number two, that God, Jesus, humbled himself and that he emphasizes about us serving. And in that serving, he says, we need to serve in love. We need to 
humble ourselves and serve each other in love. The modus operandum of the world of what the Bible says in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. These passions that are out there in the world, we're naturally exposed to them. So that as we're growing up, we can have parents who were Christians or we can later come into the Lord. But there's a continual cooperation of God that we have to flow with to be able to change the way that we think and behave based off of those impulses, those passions that the world ministers to us. The world says, get all you can get. The world says, it's your thing. Do what you want to do. You know, all these things that are contrary to the will and the purpose and plan of God. But we would not know these things except they were revealed to us from heaven, his word and the demonstration of it, looking at the person of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is our example, and he actually walked this life and resisted every form of temptation that you and I can possibly face. The word of God also says in Hebrews, the second chapter, that he tasted death for every single individual. The punishment, every person from Adam to right now, to who is going to be born. Jesus paid their sin price on the cross of Calvary. But Jesus also faced these three areas of temptation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What we see over there in Matthew, the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 11, we see that Satan came to Jesus after he was baptized and was recognized when John said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. When the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, it says immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Satan then found him after 40 days. 40 days Jesus was fasting, preparing himself because he had to continue to walk a perfect life, not making any mistake, not making any error, because if that was done, that would invalidate the substitutionary death that he was going to pay for us. In other words, we sinned, Jesus didn't. Jesus walked everything perfectly, we did not. He took the wrath of God on the cross, replacing what wrath we should get. But if he had, if he had failed in any way, then he couldn't present perfect salvation, but Jesus didn't do that. So when Satan came to Jesus, he first tempted him with saying, if you're the son of God, command these stones that they may be made bread. This temptation points to an area of something that the enemy is always trying to provoke us as believers with doing, proving ourselves, proving ourselves, testing us to see if we're going to prove we're who we are and what ability that we have. He came to Jesus and said that, and Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's the lust of the flesh. Then he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And some people want to debate and say that wasn't a valid temptation, but understand that when Adam disobeyed God, he gave the authority for Satan to run rampant in the earth to a certain extent. And so Satan was in control over nations that, are in, that were in the world at that time. 
Jesus, when he was glorified and John the apostle saw him in the book of Revelation, he said, behold, I have the keys of death and hell. All authority and power is given unto me both in heaven and in earth. He said to his disciples, prior to that, Satan did have authority to be able to operate in the earth. And so when he gave Jesus that vision of seeing all the nations that were around the world, he said, if you bow down and worship me, all shall be yours. Now, here's the thing about Satan. He's a liar. Never believe anything that he says. That's why when he tries to put oppression and terror on your head, you know the opposite is true. He says, oh, God's not going to forgive you. Or what he tries to say is when you sin, you know, God, God will forgive you. And then he comes around and says, you know, after you've done it, oh, God will never forgive you. But we know we should not sin because it's not the will of God. But when we do sin, Jesus said, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we do have the ability of going back and asking the Lord forgiveness, but what he wants in our heart is true repentance, not just saying, Lord, I'm sorry I got caught. But back to Jesus and the temptation. So Jesus is now seeing all the kingdoms of this world, and he wants the people, but not at the price of listening to the devil. Because you see, the devil wanted to be worshiped like God, and he presented that to Jesus, but Jesus resisted that temptation. But now the next one, the pride of life, and this is a word I want to stay with throughout the remainder of this message, the pride of life. He took Jesus to a pinnacle of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down. First question we have to ask is, why do we have to prove anything to the devil? Who is he? He's not a legitimate authority. He's a rogue spirit that disobeyed God and was cast out from his position, and we have to answer to God, not to him. But Jesus put it in perspective when he said, get thee hence, Satan. He said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The pride of life, pride will try to make us focus on something other than God and keeping him in perspective. It'll try to get you to prove your identity and prove your ability. But guess what? That's not really where God wants us to be. In other words, Jesus had nothing to prove to him. Man was already created in the image of God. And Satan was a rogue spirit that disobeyed God before man was created. He injected himself into man's life as a tempter only because he hated God. Man suffered for that. But Jesus still came. Jesus resisted him and didn't fall to that temptation. But one thing we have to do is cooperate with God is make sure we stay in humility and we don't operate in pride. We are called as a church, an ecclesia, God's body and the earth. We are called to demonstrate the truth about the things of God and not try to prove them. What do I mean by that? In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, the word of God says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So the demonstration about God being with him and the demonstration about God being with us is that God works through us to will and to do of his good pleasure. But when we get off into pride, it then becomes all about us. 
we try to prove our ability or we try to focus in on things about ourselves. How many people are in a penal institution right now because somebody called their mother a bad name or somebody insulted that person and they went off and did something that now they're in trouble with the law? First thing they have to look at if they said your mother wears combat boots and your father is ugly, is that true? And the next thing is that if you go off and haul off and hit them, then you'll be escorted by the police and the justice system and you can possibly do time. So what, what's the bait with that? Why, why am I saying that? Because we get tempted into try to make a defense of something that's not our responsibility. Your reputation is really God's responsibility. Any area that we take ourselves and we hold on to and we try to protect, we try to regulate, God's not going to do that for us. In the book of Genesis, after the flood occurred, it says in Genesis chapter 11 that men began to gather together and said, let's build a city and let's make an enclave for ourselves, lest we be scattered in the earth and we want to make a name for ourselves. So they came all together to build these things and to do these things with self-preservation, self-exaltation, self-gratification. But when we localize all of these things into our own power and not let God regulate that, that's pride. You see, pride lifts up from earth unto heaven. And when we feel that we have to defend or we have to promote something in our own strength, we'll lean over towards pride rather than what Jesus said, the honor that comes from God, that's what we need to operate in. We're, we're saved. Jesus' blood has forgiven us. We have our names written in heaven. We don't have to prove anything to anybody, but we can walk in a demonstration that if we come across somebody that has need of prayer and we pray for them, we cooperate with God. It's not in our ability. It's not by our might. We don't heal anybody in Jesus' name. God is the healer. We don't answer prayers. God is the one that answers the prayers. But he wants us to cooperate with him and not make it about, look what the Lord did through me. That's pride. And the Bible says very plainly, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why? Because God can't occupy that space of glory if we're occupying that. And we, we mean well and we have things that are told to us as we're, we're growing up, but the word of God comes to give us enlightenment so that we can do what? Cooperate with God. There's a passage of scripture in Philippians, the second chapter, that people misunderstand, and I've heard preachers do this for years. Well, they'll quote and they'll say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And what they'll do is they'll minister that word in the context that you're having to earn your salvation. But when we go back to the word of God in Ephesians, the second chapter, it says, for by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So how is that true, which it is true, and then this scripture be interpreted in that light. When you dig down into the Greek renderings of what that word actually means, it means to demonstrate, not to earn or to prove salvation. In other words, we are to demonstrate our salvation with fear and trembling. We need to be people of love. We need to be people who are sensitive to the spirit, to pray and to exhort one another daily. He says to demonstrate the life that has been put inside of you. 
We don't have to get to heaven and know that heaven is there for us. We believe what Jesus said. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Faith is believing what the word of God says. So we have the assurance that if we see it is written, that's where our faith is derived from. None of us have seen God the Father yet, but all of us will see him one day. If you're a believer, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ for your works to be evaluated, and you can receive gold, silver, precious stone, hopefully not the wood, hay, and stubble, because that's not a good thing. But for those who do not know the Lord, then they will stand before him at the great white throne judgment where they will receive degrees of torment for the works that they have done. But everybody is going to stand before the Lord. But in our life right now, he's looking for us to demonstrate the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit of God. But he needs us to cooperate with him. And getting off into pride is something that will negate the grace of God. Because pride focuses on us, not on God. Pride wants to be served and not to serve. Pride is something that the word of God says over in the book of Proverbs that there's six things that the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. The first thing he says is a proud look. But we're taught by the world, you've got to protect yourself. But the word of God says, the Lord is our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? He is our strength and our shield. So in other words, we have to rely upon God to protect us. Now, what am I not saying? Let's not take this to an extreme of what I'm not trying to say. I'm not saying don't lock your car and don't lock your house, okay? You are supposed to do that. But your faith about who is keeping you is not yourself. You're relying upon the Lord as your foundation. That's what the Bible speaks about, and that's a matter of the heart. Pride is a matter of the heart that will defile us and will negate the grace of God, but the Spirit of God wants his church to cooperate, not in trying to prove. The Hebrew boys, when they faced King Nebuchadnezzar, they didn't try to prove God's existence. They said, we know God exists. We know that we're not going to bow and worship you. And then God stepped in and made that demonstration. That's what he wants us to do, is simply allow that demonstration of his own self in our life as we do what? As we cooperate with him. Ironically, one of these disciples that was there and had his feet washed, that heard words of warning about don't betray the Son of Man. It's better for you not to have been born than to have been born and turn around and betray the Son of Man. And that was Judas Iscariot. Whatever Judas's reason was for the betrayal of the Lord, it goes back to this instance about pride. You see, at this time in the New Testament, Israel was under Roman occupation. They were physically present and lording over the nation of Israel. Israel at one time had kings and then the kingdom got divided and there was more than one king. But there are people who were in that time that wanted national Israel to be restored back. And perhaps that was Judas's motivation. Perhaps he wanted Jesus to directly confront the Pharisees for whatever reason. But the essence about pride with Judas is this. He had an idea, he had a desire that he lifted up and said, I want this to happen, but that wasn't the will of God. 
Jesus had to go to the cross. And the Bible says it was a mystery that was hidden God. When they looked at that event in the natural, they thought, we don't understand. Why is the one that we love hanging up on the cross with a spear in his side, the blood gushing out? But the word of God says, had the princes of this world known what was going to happen, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because Jesus took back the authority that was given to Satan and brought it back. That was a mystery. But now getting back to Judas, Judas tried to press God into doing something that was not his will. And that's what pride does. Pride says, this is what I want. God says, that's not what I want. Who's the greatest example of pride is Satan himself. The book of Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, says that Satan was an anointed cherub that covered before he fell. And he was standing in the very presence of God. But the Bible says that he looked at his own beauty and brightness, and somehow he must have known of God's plan to create man or to do something different. But Satan didn't want to remain in the place that God created him. He wanted to be something different. And so then coupling that passage of Scripture over with Isaiah chapter 14, where we have the very words that he said in his heart. He said, I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend into the congregation of the Lord. I'll be like the most high. In other words, I know what plan you've got, but I want to be something different than what you've intended. That's pride. And what did that cause Satan? Caused him to fall from his position. And that very... Intent of his heart changed him from a beautiful anointed cherub that covers now into the spirit that we call Satan, which means adversary, and devil, which means deceiver. That's his nature. And he doesn't even want to admit that he's wrong before God. And everything he says now is a lie. But there's coming one day that he will have to kneel before Jesus and confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. But that spirit of pride wants to have a different image lifted up than rather us receiving what God has for us from heaven down to earth. His church, he wants us to cooperate. What has God called us to be? What has he called us to do? There's a big difference between coming to church and being a part of the ecclesia rather than going down the street and going to ShopRite. There's a lot of people that are inside of that store. They're all shopping. That's a crowd. But they're not all there for a unified purpose. In other words, everybody's not in there purchasing products for the same household. They're all going their individual ways. But as God's church, he's called us together. And what he's called you to be, and what he's called you to be, and what he's called all of us to do, he brings us together as a body. That's why it's a good thing for us to come together so that God's manifestation to the world, his demonstration through us. He can point to the world and say, Jesus is the way. Why? Because the people of God are being used of God to demonstrate the kingdom of God here in this time. He wants us to cooperate with him. It starts from a state of heart that we say, Lord, I want to do what you want. And that's why we go back to that passage in John chapter 13. We see what Jesus exemplified for us. He loved, he was humble, and he served. As long as we maintain those areas within our heart, we can go on and be used of God. We've got to love one another as Jesus commanded. We've got to be humble because the proud 
just don't get anything from the Lord. And we have to serve. When we say, God, we want to be used, we're saying, Lord, we want to serve and do things the way that you want to be done. His admonition to his church is to love, is to serve, not to seek power, not to seek glory, but to allow God to demonstrate through his ecclesia the kingdom of God. So today as we remember these truths, this is a time that people are filled with fear about COVID-19, about the economy, but we can say, we know in whom we have believed and our heart can rest in that. People will say, how can you have peace? Because I know the Prince of Peace. We can pray, we can ask God, and we can see God demonstrate after the counsel of his will, but we ask him, we don't command God, and God can let his mercy be shown morning by morning. That's what he wants us to do, is cooperate with him. In conclusion, the invitation by the Spirit of God is here for all of us, simply to do what? He created us with a purpose. He wants us to cooperate with him. But it's just as silly as a fish trying to act like a bird or a bird trying to act like a fish. For us to take ourselves out of what God has created us to be and to try to be something different. The Old Testament is full of examples which we're not going to go into because of time of people who tried to operate in something that God didn't call them to operate in. King Uzziah comes to mind. He was anointed to be a king, but the Bible says that his heart was lifted up to his destruction when he was strong, and he tried to go and present offerings on the altar like a priest. The written word of God said that only those who were of the seed of Aaron could approach the altar of the Lord as a priest. Yet he was a king and thought, I got the authority. I can do whatever I want. Not so, because we all answer to God. And the word of God says that Uzziah was smitten with leprosy as a result of that. My brothers and sisters, we need to be the people that God has created us to be. What his will for us is a good will. He needs you and I to just do our part in the kingdom of God so that others can come in. But the worst thing we can do is say, Lord, I know you've made me to be this, but I want to be that. And now there's an air of discovery that we have to allow the Lord to show us what his will and purpose is for us. And I'm speaking by the Spirit to say, once that's known, we don't want to resist that. We want to say, Lord, you've created me to do this. I want to do this in honoring you. That's what he's looking for is that cooperation with him. His invitation is for his church to do that because he wants to present to himself a bride without spot or wrinkle, but there's still people out in the world that need to come into the kingdom of God. Today, are we going to allow the Lord to use us and to cooperate with him so that his plan in the earth can be enacted? That's the invitation that God's given today to all of us. You say, what am I? Who am I? Why would God even want me? You're important to God because he created you, and you still can be used of God because he has a will and a good pleasure for each and every one of us. So as we bow our heads this morning, this afternoon, whatever time it is, let's just go before the Lord right now in prayer and ask him to help us to cooperate with him. Yes, he knows what things we have need of, 
But you know, Jesus said it's more blessed to, to give and to receive. God not only wants us to be blessed, but he wants us to be a blessing. That's what he told Abram. He said he would bless him, that he would be a blessing. And that's his desire for his church. And so, Lord, we pray today in Jesus' name that you would help us all to cooperate with you. That we would not try to lift up another image for our lives before your face, but rather we would receive from heaven what you have created us to be, and we would cooperate with you in that, Lord God. We would recognize that we've been bought with a price, and we are to glorify God in our bodies and in our spirit because we belong to you. Lord, in love, we recognize that there are people who don't know you yet, and we seek to be used by you, that they can come and know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. So help us to bind together in love, first with you and then each other, to cooperate with you, God, to serve in love, and to resist the pulls of the world, to resist the pride, to try to exalt ourselves. But rather, like John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. Help us to practically apply that to our lives, Lord God that we can be trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. And I thank you that your word has already been stated. As Jesus said, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Thank you for your love this morning, God. Thank you for your love today. Thank you for blessing your church, your ecclesia. Thank you for ministering in the various homes that are represented physically here in High Street Worship Center. Thank you for touching our pastors, Lord God, and encouraging them in this hour. Thank you for being the God of all comfort to those who are in bereavement right now. But we thank you that we stand in solidarity with one another under you, that Jesus, the light of the world, would shine through our lives. Thank you for that unity in the faith, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to cooperate with the leading of your Holy Spirit, that you would be glorified in all things. And we give you all praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I believe we have a closing.